0: Now, Paul here is rebuking these folks because there had been a breakdown. A breakdown in fellowship. And he tells them, look, get along. Get on the same end of the rope and pull in the same direction. Get on the same track and go in the same direction. But basically, get that fellowship back intact the way it needs to be. We've had issues in the past quarter century, but we've gotten through them. I know the devil has a bullseye in this church. And in the next 25 years, we can expect him to attack us, can we not? So I think we're going to have to resolve, all right, let's maintain our fellowship. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Well, let's take our Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6, we've been in a series on pausing to ponder, and, and at this juncture of our church's history, there are some things that I think need to be covered before we go into the next phase of ministry here. This is kind of a historical time for us, and I'm excited about it, but there are some things that I feel as a church we need to shore up, not that I see problems, but, but I think they need to be reinforced in, in order for us to go higher for Christ. And this one is very important today. I, I want to deal with maintaining fellowship. In other, in other words, getting along, not only with each other, but people outside of these four walls. In First Corinthians 6 and in verse number 1, Paul's addressing a local church at Corinth. He says, dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust And not before the saints? Do not you know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brother. But brother goeth to law against brother, and that before the unbelievers. Now therefore, there is utterly a fault among you, because you go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer or allow yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, you do wrong and defraud, and that your brother. Now Paul here is rebuking these folks because there had been a breakdown, a breakdown in fellowship. And he tells them, look, get along, get along, get on the same end of the rope and pull in the same direction, get on the same track and go in the same direction, but basically get that fellowship back intact the way it needs to be. And that's what I like to talk about, maintaining fellowship. Let's pray before we begin and ask the Lord to bless. Father, we pray for your help now to listen carefully. And Lord, I pray that we would look within and then without. Father, that we would think of any associations we have, whether here or outside of these four walls, that might be in disrepair, that might need a bridge built back to that individual. Father, I just pray that You would show us what we can do to maintain healthy relationships. And Lord, as a result, have that fellowship maintained. We pray now these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Years ago, King Frederick of Russia was mortally ill. He was dying. He knew he was dying. He called to him his orthodox priest and asked him how he needs to go out into the next life. And that priest mentioned that you need to have all relationships restored. Any problems, any broken fellowship, it needs to be mended. Well, he called his wife Dorothy to him and said, Dorothy, your brother-in-law and I have been on the outs for a long time. We've been bitter, bitter enemies. I want you to tell him that I forgive him, but I want you to wait until after I'm dead. <laughs> Bottom line is he hadn't forgiven him, had he? And that fellowship was still broken. Now, there are, there are few things I think more painful than a breakdown in fellowship, in relationships. I have been reading Genesis lately, and, and it's that time of the year when I, I kind of go through it. And I was reading uh, a while back about Abraham and Lot. And Abraham was, of course, the uncle of Lot. Abraham was rich, and and, and Lot had become rich, but kind of by sliding along on Uncle Abraham's shirt tail. and, And it came to a parting of the ways because there had been a breakdown in relationship between them. Their herdsmen actually were the ones who weren't getting along. In Genesis 13 and verse 7, it says, there was a strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's cattle and the herdsmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelt then in the land. And Abraham said to Lot, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdsmen and thy herdsmen, for we be brethren. Notice Abraham, the mature one, Notice what was going on there, and notice that it mentions the Canaanite and the parasite were watching this. That little excerpt there in the middle mentions the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelling in the land as if to say, this isn't a good testimony. You guys shouldn't be doing this. And so the Lord adds that to the Scripture. And so Abraham says, look, let there be no strife between us. Now, Abraham was mature. Uh, he was above this. And, and it doesn't even tell us that Lot was part of it, but it was the herdsmen, the redneck herdsmen, if you were, that, that kind of were immature and, and, and were fighting amongst themselves because contention's a sign of immaturity. It really is. Show me somebody who's always getting into a scrape, and I'll show you on somebody who's not very mature, especially if they claim to be saved. You know, I know folks, and they talk about how easygoing they are. Oh, I'm easy to get along with that kind of thing. And and yet they're continually in scrapes. And they're showing they're not easygoing and they're showing that they're immature. Now, maturity is is really has nothing to do with age. It has nothing to do with whether you're in your seventies and your eighties. I know folks they're up there in those years, but they still uh, start fires all the time, if you know what I mean by that. And they still uh swash through a mud puddle instead of going around it, and they stir things up, and I'm telling you. You get weary after a while of putting those fires out and cleaning those situations up. It's so unnecessary. There's relationships that need to be worked on, basically. And Paul is writing to the church of Corinth here, and he's telling them that. Now, the church of Corinth was not a spiritual church. It was the most carnal church in the New Testament. And there are all kinds of things going wrong in that church that we could talk about. But there was one thing that that was almost unthinkable. In fact, the chapter before was even worse, but this one was almost as bad, and they were suing each other. So it would be like two members of this church, Fargo Baptist Church, going to court, hiring attorneys, and suing each other. And Paul said that's so wrong. He says in verse 1, "'Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters?' He's telling us here that we're going to judge, be giving, given positions of authority and rulership in the world to come by the Lord. And so how much more should we be able to handle little matters between each other down here? He says in verse 3, Know ye not that ye shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments of things pertaining to this life. And then he gives him a little formula, a little procedure. Set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. So that would be like Richard and Donnie and guys like that. No, just kidding. But he said, just put some folks who are, are just common people in the church. He said, and, and and let them judge. He said, I speak to your shame. Is it so that there's not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brother. But brother goeth to law against brother, and that between the the uh, before the unbelievers. What a bad testimony this was be. So he rebukes him for that. Now as we talk about maintaining fellowship, we see first of all what I call the common clashes. Notice again in verse 1, dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? They were having a clash. And clashes, unfortunately, are common in life. We are so different. We think differently. We are different ages. We come from different backgrounds. And it's inevitable that we are going to clash from time to time number of years ago, there was a preacher by the name of Dr. M.R. Dehan. Some of you may have heard of him. Some of you may have read his devotional booklet, Our Daily Bread. Uh, it was around and I think still is, has been for years. He wrote many of the articles in that Little devotion, morning devotional booklet, uh, Our Daily Bread. And and one day, Dr. DeHaan was kind of hard on his wife, Priscilla, before breakfast. Uh, He came down on her about something he was not very Christ-like. And so it was a very quiet breakfast. They just sat across from each other, his wife fighting back tears and felt really bad and, and him being stubborn and so on. They got up from the breakfast table and she did what she did every morning. She went to do her morning devotions and she actually used Our Daily Bread and uh, sat down to read her devotions. And as she was reading through the devotion of the day, she began to just weep, and, and then she began to sob. And, and finally, Dr. DeHaan came over, and he, he said, what's the problem? She just held up the devotional booklet to him. And the devotion of the day was one that was written by him. And it was about being kind and forgiving and long-suffering and forbearing. And he said, as he read it, he recognized it and his heart smote him. He said, I felt about an inch tall and I realized it's harder to practice what you preach than to preach it. And how true that is. Clashes are common, folks. The Bible has this expression, think it not strange. Now we tend to be idealistic, don't we? And we tend to think that Bible Christianity back in Bible days was perfect. There was a show when I was growing up called Time Tunnel. How many remember Time Tunnel? You would really have to be a trivia guy to remember this. The, the guy would go back in that thing and he'd dive into it and he'd twirl around and, and he'd go back in time. If we could go back about 20, 19 to 20 centuries, back in the Time Tunnel, what kind of things would we find in that first century church? You know, if you turn to Acts, keep your place here, but if you turn to Acts chapter 6, would we find that they had perfect doctrine and perfect teaching, and perfect preaching, and perfect preachers, and perfect fellowship? Is that what we'd find? Or would we find some pretty imperfect people, realistically speaking? Would we find a fellow by the name of Peter who was impetuous, and uh, who was also biased, and at one point... uh, withdrew himself from even eating with non-Jews, with the Gentiles, to the extent where Paul had to get in his face and say, this is so wrong. You shouldn't be doing this. And there's this clash that takes place. And then there would be a guy by the name of James, the Judaizer, I call him, who was really into the law, and he was the one who, when Paul came back to Jerusalem after years, had him take this, this vow and go into the temple and offer up this offering, something that Paul should have never done, something that James should have never encouraged him to do. But James was an influential guy because he was a half-brother of Christ. He put the screws to Paul, and Paul went and did it. No, they weren't perfect. Barnabas, the son of consolation, meaning the easygoing guy, the friendly guy, the, the one who brought people together, he was the one who brought... Saul of Tarsus to the disciples when everybody was afraid of him. The son of consolation, Barnabas. And yet we find out that he's the missionary partner of Paul. And they have a falling out. And they split and they go their own ways. You could say, well, Paul was above all that stuff. No, Paul was involved in every one of these examples. I mean, we could talk about Paul, the fact he wasn't perfect as well. We could talk about uh, the insecurity between John and, and Peter. And, and the fellowship was far from perfect. And if we went in that time tunnel and we went back the first century, we'd find some common clashes. We find them throughout the Scriptures here. You know, i got to laugh, folks who talk about this church having problems. i got news for them. Before you get real indignant about the problems we have as a church realize even the church that Jesus pastored had a crooked lost treasure in it and they had disciples who were arguing about who'd be the greatest and so on. Don't give me that that perfect church business. There's never been a perfect church, even back in the first century, in the simplicity of the first century. When they didn't have cell phones to, to yak to each other and text to each other and know what the latest gossip is on Facebook and everything else and what's going on in everybody's uh, backyard as they're doing it and all this stuff. I mean, they couldn't, they couldn't phone each other. They couldn't mail each other. And in that simple world that they had, they still had all kinds of problems back in those days. Why? Because the devil hates Christian relationships. Here in Acts chapter 6, we even find that to be true. In verse 1, it says, And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. They're all church members in Jerusalem, but they were Grecians and Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. I always say, why didn't they get off their can and go and minister themselves? Why did they have to uh, murmur about it? But they did. Sadly, that stuff goes on. Smooth sailing? I don't think so. Fellowship breaks down. It breaks down. There's a church, or was a church, in the north section of Berlin years ago. It was called the Church of Reconciliation. It was a Protestant church. And when the Berlin Wall was built from east to west, it went right through this church. And there's this 10-foot wall there right beside the church, splitting up the grounds of the church from the church itself. And the Church of Reconciliation was abandoned. Because of the split, and I thought of that, what a picture of what the devil wants to do in Bible-believing churches by taking people who are different and depraved, let's just admit it, we're all depraved, and get these isms and these schisms going. You know, in the first century, there was a guy by the name of Saul Tarsus who gets saved in Acts chapter 9, but he murdered some Christians before he got saved. You know, we don't think about it, but what about the relatives of those people he murdered? How do you like to bend the mother of Stephen and and have to look at this Saul of Tarsus preaching to you from this point on? Or Stephen was a good friend of yours, whatever it might be. You know, I got to wonder if they didn't have problems with Saul even at that time and getting along with him. In Acts chapter 10, we move on one chapter and we find out that Peter has this vision and the Gentiles are supposed to get the gospel. And so Peter takes it to him and he's called in on the carpet by the disciples and, and, and shoot out for doing that until he explains everything. But I'm telling you, clashes happen left and right. They were common even in those days. You could bump up to about 60 AD when the, the epistle to the Philippians was written and you can find the Apostle Paul addressing a problem in the church at Philippi in Philippians 4.2. He said, I beseech, meaning beg, I beg Odious, and then beseech, assenticate that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Here apparently were a couple of gals who were having problems and they were fighting, but they were both church members there at Philippi. And then he adds, and I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, step in and do something about this. Now I've studied the word yoke fellow because we think of it as an adjective or a description of some guy, but yoke fellow was actually a name of somebody. When we were over in, in Africa, it was kind of uh, humorous to find guys with names like Owner and, and guys with names like Beauty and, and well, not Beauty, but <laughs> uh, gals with names like Beauty and, and Princess and, and, and a guy named Steady. And I think it was Brother Dennis who said it's kind of like reading Pilgrim's Progress. When you go over there, you got all these people with, with these weird names. Yoke Fellow was actually the name of somebody. And maybe he had some heathen name, like Belteshazz or something, and after he got saved, it was just his demeanor and and manner to be a peacemaker. And and so they called him Yokefellow, and and maybe he was even the pastor there at Philippi. But Paul said, Yokefellow, get in there and help those ladies and get this thing mended. I'm saying in the first century, it wasn't all peaches and cream. They had these common clashes because it's always been that way. You know, I... I'm thinking of a fella, and I give him a hard time, I, I tell him he's older than dirt, and, and he is, he's got to be at least 100, but there he is, and he's sitting out there, and and he's been around a long time, but he actually grew up in, in churches that had clashes, and him and I have talked about this, and, and it almost it almost discouraged him to the place of giving up on the whole church thing. I can't tell you how many times he said he, he's so thankful for what we have here, and he loves it here, even last Sunday, but but there are churches and, and they have problems and we're not a, above that because people are going to clash with people and, and people are going to clash with staff and staff's going to clash with staff and staff's going to clash with pastor and, and, and people clash with people because people are people. That's the bottom line. So common clashes, first of all, we see those. But secondly, let's talk about the carnal causes of this. Why does this happen? James 4.1 it says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? In other words, from the inside out. Where does this stuff come from? Well, our depraved hearts. Where come these wars and fightings amongst us? Come they not hence, even of your own lusts that war in your members? That's another reference for our bodies. And, and so basically, shame on us. We are the carnal cause of it. Notice here, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 again, And in verse 6, Paul says what the problem is. He said, But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. It was going on. Now, how could the church of Corinth ever expect to see souls saved? How could they ever expect to see God's power on them as a church? We forfeit God's power when we have schisms and and divisions and bitterness and problems with people and, and, and broken relationships. In fact, in Matthew 18, 15, Jesus said, moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. He even adds in chapter 5, verse 24, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way, first be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. He says, make it right, lest you forfeit the power of God. Now, what are some of the the common causes of these, these falling outs. Well, we've looked at one already, and that's immaturity. Those herdsmen there of Lot, uh, those, those Grecian widows there and, and, and their relatives there in Acts 6, and, and really they were part of the problem instead of part of the solution. I think we should all ask ourselves, are we part of the problem or are we part of the solution? Do we put out fires? Do we start fires? That's immature. Secondly, we, we, we have problems and we have our nose where it doesn't belong. And I preached a whole series here on justice and so on in our jurisdiction and and, and keeping our nose where it belongs because our nose doesn't belong in other people's business. Uh, My nose doesn't belong in your business. Your nose doesn't belong in my business. Very common for people to put their nose in the pastor's business. In fact, there have been times in 25 years where somebody said, well, I don't think you ought to do this. I think you ought to do that. And I want to shake their hand and say, I've never met the Holy Spirit personally. It's nice to meet you. You know, (laughs) you got all the answers. Boy, you know what? We don't do that. That'd be cynical and sarcastic. <clears throat> but anyway, people get this toed and, and they second-guess you when it's really none of their business. And you don't like it at work. You don't like it if it's your mother-in-law. And by the way, we have married children now and, and and we've kept our nose. I think they would tell you. We, we just leave them alone. That's not our family. That's uh, somebody else's business. That's another Christian's business. And, and when we stick our nose where it doesn't belong, there's problems. That causes... I guess, fragmenting relationships. Now, there's a third thing that causes breakdown in fellowship and and explosions and divisions and such, and that is living a stressful life. And let's just be honest. I mean, it's nasty out there. Life is just way too hectic. And I've talked to many folks, even born-again people, who really were not very nice people to be around due to their schedule and due to the stress of their life. And when they step down from it, it's like they're a whole different person. You know, I don't think my dad would mind my saying this, but when when we were growing up, he had nine kids to feed, and boy, he had uh, his own business. He had sidelined things like apartments. Just, and he told us, he said, it was just keep food on the table, guys. And and he had so many uh, irons in the fire, and it was stressful for him, and he was intense. I don't know where I got it. But but anyway, he was somewhat a tense individual. And, and uh, you know, when he retired, and in fact, he's in his, he's in his mid-80s now, and for years, it's just like you wouldn't know him from the, 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 the stressful guy that he was growing up, or when we were growing up, and the difference being just the lifestyle at that time. It puts that pressure on us. We get so tense. It's like the guy who went to the counselor, and, and uh, he said, I'm having this reoccurring dream that I'm a wigwam, or I'm a teepee. And the counselor said, you're too tense. Uh-huh, you get it? Too tense, wigwam, teepee. Uh, that was old. But anyway, uh, we're not ourselves when we're too tense. Bottom line, I'm not, and so we can kind of not be very easy to get along with. There's a fourth thing that can cause, I guess, strife between two people, and that is burnout. That is fatigue. That is it's getting to the place where you just feel like leave me alone. I, I, I just leave me alone. That's where Elijah got to. Elijah just wanted to be alone. He goes out in the desert. And you ever feel like that? And he's disillusioned. He is pulling away. We get like this sometimes. We just get tired, and we get we get crabby to be around. And by the way, when somebody's crabby, timing's timing's everything. Okay, let's use wisdom. It's not the time to push the envelope. Okay, uh, when there's a prolonged sickness, uh, King Saul he was sick, and he just pulled away, and there he was in his tent, and he was he was depressed. And that's when problems can happen. Insomnia. Maybe I haven't been sleeping well. But those are the things that can cause uh, rifts and fellowship to be broken. There's something else. And it's an obvious one. It's just nailed in the Bible. Envy. Envy. James 3.16 says, For where envying and strife is, there's confusion and every evil work. Notice how they go together. Envy and strife. Show me envy. I'll show you strife. And then, the, the... reason we get, don't get along at times is just our plain old carnality. The Bible also puts its finger on that. 1 Corinthians 3.3 3 says, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? And the answer is, yep, we do. And so we can start a fallout at such times. And sometimes it starts slowly. We don't recognize it's happened. Kind of these rifts with people can uh, go through stages. They can start kind of slow. Now, mankind craves fellowship. There's no doubt about that. And that's why we like to get together and, and uh, be at the, the singles or, or the classics and everything in between. We we'll get together. We, we might uh, go to Culver's or we might do Bible study together or we might uh, have prayer meetings and share our hearts as a group or whatever it might be. But you've noticed it as I have over the years where somebody might suddenly be waffling and, and not there And in time, you kind of notice their absence and and kind of, you know something's wrong. That is if you're discerning. Uh, Sometimes we're a little thick and we don't catch it. We don't notice notice it. It kind of slips by us. But if we're watching, you notice somebody and and something's wrong with so-and-so. And And, and they just haven't been around and haven't seen them for a while. And and you get with them. You sense the distance there. You get the vibes, if you will. and, and, And you know something's wrong. What do you do? Well, you, you want to approach them and try and you know, get them back on track. Or, or if it's a problem with you, reconcile. But the first thing to do, and the last thing we do, what we should do first, is pray for them. Pray that God would prepare the, their hearts, our hearts, pave the way for us. If you sense a battle, don't ignore it, don't shrug it off, don't, don't say it'll work itself out. Pray for that person and approach that person and, and, and as soon as you can. The Bible says in Proverbs eighteen nineteen. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. It goes on, it says, their contentions are like the bars of a castle. If you let the thing go, it can really be set in concrete. So you pray about it and you approach them. You see the common clashes, you see the carnal causes. What's the compelling cure? The compelling cure. Many years ago, there was an Englishman, really renowned by the name of William Thackeray. Thackeray was a well-known Englishman. He lived at the same time as the famous Charles Dickens, a name we'd be more apt to know. But these two had a quarrel. They had a falling out. And it had gone on for some months, and I think it was around Christmas Eve of 1863, about the time the Civil War was going on back here. And these two were at this function together, and they saw each other in London there at this function, and they ignored each other. They just avoided each other. Thackeray's heart pricked him that night, and he thought, this isn't right. And so he finally walked over to Dickens. He said, I I, I just can't bear the coldness of our relationship anymore. And and I I just want to bury the hatchet and and be friends again. Of course, Dickens was touched by that. And and the scene just kind of melted the ice between them. and, And they became good friends once again. You know that three days later, Thackeray died, just unexpectedly. And later on, Dickens stood over the grave of his friend that he had reconciled with and simply said, I am so glad we mended fences before he died. I'm so glad we got back together before William went on. Our text here of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 goes on, and in verse 7, Paul says to these folks, Now therefore, there is utterly a fault among you, because you go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, you do wrong and defraud in that your brethren. Notice he says, Why do you not rather take wrong? That's a good question. Why don't we just decide to take it? To suck it in, if you will? To be defrauded? To forbear? I mean, to allow them to do what they did and not get uptight about it. Let it ride. Am I a let it rider? Are you a let it rider? Are we that type, that temperament, that disposition? Or do we? get bitter and do we stay bitter? You know bitterness is devastating. Bitterness is really a choice. Nobody forces us to be bitter. Nobody. It's a choice that we make. And it doesn't just invade one area of our lives. Oh, I'm just bitter about this guy. What happens? It 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 pervades every area of our life. It really affects us more than we know and Hebrews says that. And many others are contaminated as a result the Bible tells us. You know, we have enough to be humble about when we think about our own selfishness about our own depravity, our own harshness and pride and gossip and insincerity, for us to be staying bitter at somebody else because they sinned I mean we are unable to appropriate the the grace of God when we stay bitter that 's the bottom line it 's not the will of God. you know people are funny they they 'll restore antiques they 'll restore cars they 'll restore anything, but they don 't restore relationships they don 't mend fences there. Back in 1977, Emperor Hi- Hirohito of Japan visited England, and the, the Japanese emperor, for the first time since World War II, went to, to the, uh, the UK. And, and everybody's kind of tense, you know, uh, man, these guys did us dirty back in World War II, they thought. But Queen Elizabeth got up and she said, now, we're not going to pretend we don't have a, a rough past here. And we're not going to pretend that uh, we have had ill relations in the past. But she said, we will determine from this point on to never let that happen again by being friends from this point on. And it broke the ice. On that note, not not all conflict is necessarily bad or negative or even of the devil, we might say. You know, there's been times I've wondered about that fallout with Paul and Barnabas. You know, we can say the devil got in and, and split up that missionary team, which he did. But each of them took somebody else and went out and did twice as much work. And I don't think that was what the devil had planned. I'm I'm just saying not all conflict is bad. God can use it. I was talking to Brother Hammett over in Africa, and we were talking about the Bible college we want to set up over there. and. And the accommodations, and and I said, you know, it's going to get tight, and it's hot, and uh, they're going to be in close quarters, and and they're going to get on each other's nerves. And and I said, what can we do to to just make sure that we keep peace over there? And he said, well, brother, he goes, it's not necessarily true that uh, teaching them to get along is a bad thing. He said, actually, they need to learn that. You know, I've thought of the four uh, folks in each dorm room that we have across the parking lot there, and, you know, that's not uh, exactly 2,000 square feet like your house might be. I mean, they're in pretty tight quarters, but they've had to learn to get along with it. I mean, that's as profitable as a class we might teach here. And so let them go over to Africa and let them fuss a little bit, because they're at least going to learn how to get along. We need to learn how to get along. You know, parents try to patch up every little scuffle between their kids and and, and, and get in there and break that thing up right away. You know, they're going to have to learn how to get along the rest of their lives. And I'm not saying let it come to fisticuffs and black eyes and everything else before we step in, but but I mean, maybe they do need to learn how to get along first. Learn how to work it out. You know, sometimes even fallouts in a church aren't necessarily an evil thing. They can result in a healthier church. If, if, uh, if there's a purging that takes place, if there's somebody that was quenching the Spirit that says, I'm out of here, well, that just strengthens the fellowship, actually. It purifies the church. It, it gets the power back on the church. But normally, when a problem takes place, it isn't a good thing. Somebody is in the flesh. It's a chance to be Christ-like, but but we're not seizing the opportunity, really. And when it takes place within a church, it does hurt the church body. Uh, it can hurt the workplace. It can hurt the uh, family reunion. It can hurt the neighborhood. You know, some some ill will that, that we can have can go back years. Uh, childhood. Sometimes just a few weeks. But regardless, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility like the folks at Corinth had a responsibility to get it right. All right? And if... We are, we are withholding doing what we ought to do to repair that bad relationship. God might be withholding other relationships with us because if, if we're not doing much with little, we're not going to be given more. That's basically a biblical principle. And so if we know, okay, I'm on the outs with these people and these people and these people, but I don't care, I'll just go find some new friends. God might not get them to you. So what will it take to, to build the bridge back? That's really the question. Well... Let me just say this church at Corinth had to build some bridges back. In fact, Paul, I won't have you turn there, but in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse number 26, he said whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. When we're not right with somebody else, there's other people suffering as a result because no man is an island. And in a church especially where there's problems with two people, it hurts everybody. It affects the whole body. Now, it's not a pleasant thing to confront. Confronting uh, confrontation It's not something we volunteer for, is it? Well, I'll go in there, I'll I'll mend that thing. No, we we don't do that, but it needs to be done. And when it's done, we have some guidelines for it. In Galatians 6 and in verse number 1, it says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted, and bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So we have a, uh, a procedure here. First of all, if somebody's overtaken in a fault, we need to get spiritual to go to them. Don't be more backslidden than they are and think we're qualified to go straighten them out. It says, ye which are spiritual, restore such in one. Secondly, in the spirit of pride and condescension and arrogance? No. In the spirit of humility, in meekness. And then it says, considering thyself. All right, I mentioned a moment ago, we have our own issues with selfishness and pride and, and gossip and insincerity and so on. So we need to consider how sinful we are, considering ourselves that we're not above this same thing happening unless we also be tempted. And then it says, Bear ye one another's burdens. And it adds, and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's so basic. bearing one another's burdens. Fulfilling the law of Christ. Mending fences. You know, when we don't, that person we're on the outs with, We're going to think about them when we wake up in the morning. We're going to think about them throughout the day. We're going to think about them as we pill our head at nights. We're normally going to think it's their fault, which is another thought. Don't be a Pharisee. We can get very Pharisaical and think it's all their issue when it's really not. Does it hurt us when we throw good things away? I worked for an electrical company one time when actually we moved here. In the early days of the church, I had a part-time job and, and, uh, Boy, I was always a pack rat growing up, but when something got outdated for them, they would pitch it, and and they couldn't use it, and I knew it was obsolete, but I just always had a hard time with throwing stuff away, and we have that issue out at our place right now when we're cleaning the barn and the granary and whatever else it might be. You know, when it comes to relationships, they ought to be hard to throw away. They really should. You know, you get two siblings and they haven't talked for years, we ought to try and do something about that, or or two friends that haven't talked for years. You know, when it comes to uh, issues like that, they don't heal themselves. Something has to be done, actually. I think we're mostly mostly here familiar with the name Jerry Lewis. Um, you may not be as familiar with the name Dean Martin, unless you're, you know, my age, or older, but those two actually were a comedy team that hooked up just after World War II, 1946. And for years, you know, Dean Martin was the, the crazy, loony guy, and... and uh, or Jerry, Lewis, Jerry Lewis was Dean Martin was a straight guy, the suave debonair you know uh, crooner, and, and they had this really good, good thing going, and, and they kind of this good chemistry and so on. But as time went on, Lewis became more popular. They liked the population like the zany guy, and and Martin kind of felt like in the background and, and so there, there, there got to be a little resentment there, and, and I think it was around 1960 or so they split up. And for the next 17, 16, or 17 years, they never said anything bad about each other. In fact, they wouldn't. And, and they'd be asked, interviewed, you know, what was the problem? They're uh, just not going to go there, to their credit. But they just never were seen in public together again until a, a Jerry Lewis telethon in 1976. I think it was Frank Sinatra who arranged it, and Dean Martin, of course, was part of it. But, but he came on stage and totally surprised Jerry Lewis, and they, they buried the hatchet. They were the best of friends up until Martin died in, in 1995. I, I've been to Dean Martin's grave years, a few years ago, and I, I thought of that story, and it was such a neat story, how they were so glad afterwards that they reconciled before one or the other died, basically. There are some things that don't heal themselves. A dent in your fender is not going to heal itself. A, a flat tire is not going to heal itself. There are some things that just have to have our attention, and, and a broken relationship is one of them. And, and trying to mend one, initially it can be humbling, it can be painful. But I think ultimately, I think ultimately it's rewarding. Whether it's a parent and a child who have had a falling out or vice versa, or uh, two spouses or two roommates or a, a former pastor or a distant friend or an in-law. We need to resolve we're not going to let it mar the rest of our lives by leaving that thing unresolved. And especially within a church unresolved. We've had issues in the past quarter century, but we've gotten through them. I know the devil has a bullseye in this church, and in the next 25 years, we can expect him to attack us, can we not? So I think we're going to have to resolve, all right? Let's maintain our fellowship. Let's go around the mud puddles. Uh, Let's not pick at a scab. Let's not start a fire. Let's avoid those things and do whatever it takes uh, to keep peace. within the body of Christ here. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.